Hi, thank you as always for coming. Um, good evening. My name is Diana Thompson. I'm the curator of the collection here at the National Academy. And on behalf of Director Carmen Brannigan and the entire staff and board, I'd like to welcome you to tonight's review panel. This program is organized in partnership with David Cohen and ArtCritical.com and occurs once a month here at the National Academy from fall through spring. The review panel is generously supported by the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs and the New York State Council on the Arts. Tonight's panelists will discuss exhibitions currently on view in New York, and I also encourage you, if you haven't already, to see the exhibitions on view here at the National Academy. In the museum galleries until May 3rd is Self, Portraits of Artists in Their Absence, an exhibition that explores the changing conventions of self-portraiture over the course of 200 years. Featured in the exhibition are works from the Academy's 19th and 20th century collections, alongside works on loan by major modern and contemporary artists. Also currently on view in our curatorial lab, which is a dedicated project space on the museum's fourth floor, is an installation entitled Revealing Architecture, which features works by the architectural firm FX Fowl and painter and academician Richard Haas. Right outside this room, in the Academy's school gallery, is an exhibition of student work entitled Outdoor Visions, which is on view through May 10th. But now for the review panel, please join me in welcoming tonight's guests, as well as moderator David Cohen, publisher and editor of ArtCritical.com. Thank you so much. Lovely to see a full house again. Thank you very much, Diana, and to all the staff here at the National Academy, and also to um, Isaac Durfel, who is kind enough to be our recording engineer. Um, as I think we all know, the series is recorded for posterity and a podcast from artcritical.com, where we have archives going right back to the distant days of uh, October 2004, uh, when um, on this podium, this very podium, Ken Johnson, Maureen Mullarkey, and Jerry Saltz did battle. So, well, it's not battle, really. It's, uh, it's consensus forming. It's uh, uh, sharing of values and ideas and probing of, of, of opinions. And um, usually what we do, as I think most of us know, who's, who's here at the review panel for their first visit? Who's here for the first time this evening? Yes, fantastic. Well, um, you may or may not know that what we usually do is go out and see four solo exhibitions around New York and come back and deliberate upon them one by one. But every so often, we break with that form to take stock of the more expansive um, survey-type exhibitions put on by museums, and sometimes even uh, historic shows have been looked at um, uh, with, by, by the panel. And tonight, we're looking at two such uh, surveys, uh, the Triennial at the New Museum and the Invitational at the American Academy. Um, perennial or triennial fixtures um, on, the, on the cultural landscape. But um, there, they kind of, there, the, the, the comparison, well, the, they, they belong to the same structure, but have a very different form in that the triennial is obviously a survey of um, emerging artists from around the world. And the Invitational is an exhibition that looks at artists from 
different stages of their careers, often uh, artists are quite well-established, uh, quite uh, well-established at least in years, um, if not in um, art world profile. And it's almost actually a refreshing, well, uh, that's a value judgment already. I'm, I'm just neutrally introducing the evening. But we will see, I think, a contrast between um, the emphasis on youth and um, almost a, a refusal to uh, uh, privilege youth in one academy and, and the other institution. Uh, we also, obviously, will see quite a contrast in terms of uh, medium preference with um, painting being in a very small minority on the Bowery and uh, an overwhelming majority on Audubon Terrace. Uh, so we are literally uh, geographically and mediumistically and generationally all over the map with um, our two surveys. Uh, the format of the evening is as follows. We will have uh, longer than usual uh, video presentations of the two uh, exhibitions, starting with the triennial uh, discussion about that exhibition on the panel, uh, then opening up to comments and contributions from the floor, and then repeating the exercise in relation to the invitational with a little game that we're going to play and which I'll explain when we get to it. Um, of course, it's all a game, you might say. It's the game of criticism, but a game within a game, shall we say. Let me now proceed to the most pleasurable moment of any panel, which is introducing my distinguished guests. Distinguished is the optimum word in relation to the poet and essayist John Yao. Uh, John is also the, one of the um, editors of the weekend issue of Hyperallergic. Uh, John, incidentally, I'll give a little shout out. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, we'll be conducting... Sunday. Sunday afternoon. Oh, Sunday. Oh, right. Okay. Rearrange my weekend. Uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, John is going to be conducting a dialogue with uh, an artist indeed represented in the Invitational, Brenda Goodman, at the Life on Mars Gallery in uh, Bushwick. Is it 4 p.m.? What time is it? 2 p.m. 2 p.m. If you get there at 4 p.m., you'll miss half of it. So no, we'll uh, just be getting started by then. Yes, yes. I'm just joking. Right, 2 p.m., uh, Life on Mars, 56 Bogart Street. My next guest is Sharon Butler. She is one of the pioneers of art blogging, I think one can say. Her, her blog, Two Coats of Paint, is, uh, is, is a mainstay of the uh, critical blogosphere. She is also a painter. Uh, she has a, 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 an artist in her own right. She has a show coming up um, in May in uh, uh, Beacon, New York, at the Make One Gallery. Make One. Uh, Make One Gallery. And she is also uh, going to be in a uh, group show um, in uh, June uh, here in the city at... Well, it's actually in Bushwick, and Bushwick. it'll be during Bushwick Open Studios as well as the rest of the month. Yes. In June. Can you hear me? Yes. At Theodore Art. At Theodore Art, absolutely. Stephanie Theodore's gallery, also in the same building as Brenda Goodman's 56, um, 56 Bogart Street. Lots going on. Thank you very much. And finally, um, my guest, Noah Dillon, on uh, my right, uh, is associate editor of artcritical.com, a uh, position he's held since last summer. Um, he is a, a, an artist as well and a, a uh, writer. Um, he also contributes... What is the blog that... that uh, 
Um, I'm always annoyed to see you writing your best articles that it's not art critical. Yes, you do. Come on. I'm blanking on the name. I'm giving you a shout out. What's the name of that other uh, website that you write for? The Brooklyn Rail? No, no. The, the, <laughs> the specialist one. It's, the, it's a... Google we'll, him. We'll figure it out later. All right. Yes. That's... I don't know where I'm writing for. I guess. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. I should have done <laughs> my okay. homework. Um, there's been some interesting articles at a, a young blog that's not just on art, it's on various subjects. And uh, Google it and you'll find it out. He himself has forgotten, so it's obviously not <laughs> of, of, of profound significance in his, um, in his intellectual life. But, maybe, um, maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's Instagram. No, I don't think it was Instagram. <laughs> uh, and Noah is a relatively recent graduate of the Critical Studies program at the School of Visual Arts. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our panel. Great. Well, uh, at the risk of getting neck ache, we should all turn around here and uh, watch the video prepared by Anna Shukilo, associate publisher of Right. Yeah, very good. That should, of course, be accompanied by the sound there. It's, it's actually kind of a, a curious phenomenon to see uh, this, this very expertly produced video. I'm, a round of applause is, is uh, well, you don't have to applause. I'm going to applause for, for um, Anna Shukilo, who is uh, uh, not here with us this evening, but who prepared our videos this evening. Um, it, it's curious, though, to, to see the videos, which, which do capture the sound and the, the soundtracks of, of various videos and animations uh, and installations. Um, but the the... The four minutes that we spend with this video is, is a much uh, serener, quieter experience than perhaps the, hopefully more than four minutes, that we spend um, at the New Museum um, lo looking at this very, very dense show. Dense in terms of, um, uh, I mean, a, I guess a triennale should, by mathematical definition, be a biennale, a biennale and a half, but it's, um, uh, it's a very packed exhibition, um, and it's not just packed with uh, the number of artists on the number of floors, but with the variety of, of visual experiences, the, uh, the sound effect, the, uh, uh, to some degree, perhaps the claustrophobia, although we can, when we, when we talk later, think about um, floor by floor, um, some, some difference um, in vibe. When one is in this hallway with Ashland Mines uh, installation, there's a sound of some sort of rocket or um, rocket engine at least uh, um, we feel like we're about to take off um, uh, shoot into the stratosphere with this piece um, literally if not aesthetically um, that's just I guess my first uh, my first impression of this event um, uh, can I ask for some other first impressions what is what is what's the vibe what's the feeling um, uh, Sharon what, 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 um, if you had to just say in a sentence or two to somebody, what would you say was the, um, the tenor of this exhibition, the mood of this exhibition? Well, my feeling, am I on here? My feeling was that walking into the new museum, into the triennial, was like walking into somebody else's search history on Google. I don't know how many of you saw the show, but it, 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 it's, it's full of uh, information and research and 
people going down these rabbit holes to different places. And so to me, it seemed more like it was about the show as a whole being an equivalent for what it's like to be on the internet than it did to be about any of the particular people, artists, or projects involved. I mean, that was the sense I got. Right. That, that would suggest um, a very expansive overview, but it would also, I think, be an indictment of the curatorial project if, if one I, isn't... No, I didn't mean it as an not, indictment. Not necessarily. No. I know maybe you didn't mean it as one, but if, 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 um, if one isn't able to save a... Well, we can debate it. Sometimes perhaps the sum should, should be greater than the individual parts, in which case uh, curators are at liberty to create the kind of effect that you're describing, which is one in which um, individual works, uh, it's hard to say for individual work. That well, you know, unless you're really passionate about what that person is passionate about, it is really hard to say for the works. I mean, there's not a lot of emotion. There's a lot of uh, intellectual rigor. And um, at, at the first, um, one of the first projects I looked at was Martine Sims, um, piece on the top floor, that, which, and I was thinking to myself as I was looking at all of the different things, and in fact, the video, which was the project that she contributed, wasn't actually working. So, um, but all of the other materials were there and all the research, and just as I was thinking, this is sort of like doing homework, I turned around and there was a book, there were a couple of books on the shelf that actually had the post-it tags with the marginalia and the underlining on the book. So, so in fact, the research has become part of the project. Right. Which right. is interesting. So intellectually dense as well. It's yes. intellectually dense. It's not particularly moving to right. me. Right. Thank but you. But it is no. thought-provoking. Yeah. Good. Uh, Noah. What, what are my first impressions? First impressions or, or last, mm -hmm. uh, last feelings on, on leaving the, the museum? Well, uh, I felt like there was a there was a little bit of conflict about whether or not it wanted to be a triennial or whether or not it wanted to just pay lip service to this sort of thing and and also kind of uh, stick in little jabs and digs at it. And to Sharon's point, like I don't I don't think I would really expect anything less from Ryan Tricarton than to produce something that is sort of messy, conflicted, and um, something like a Google image search or something like that, you know, that is uh, a complicated um, totality of like a bunch of stuff that doesn't really necessarily feel related or is very easy to digest or, um, yeah, uh, and to, that it would be sort of challenging in that way and, and, and quickly moving. Right, right. Ryan Tricartin, the, the video and installation artist, uh, himself featured in the last Venice Biennale, himself a subject of, uh, oh, uh, a star, I guess, of a previous uh, triennial, um, maybe the first, actually. Um, he uh, is the co-curator of, of this uh, venture. Do you see his hand very strongly, uh, John, either in the intellectual content of this show or the... Um, the density of I did, presentation. I did on my way to the bathroom, and the first phrase I heard is, life is fucking beautiful. Over and over, I thought, oh, Ryan Tricartin is haunting the show. Um, I had, like, three thoughts. Sort of, I mean, I had more, but 
There were works that I liked. I thought that the paintings probably should have been separated from all the other stuff because I felt like when I went to the Sigmar Polka show, there was this kind of, why do I have to look at someone, something while someone's screaming? So that was kind of bothersome. Two, I hated the wall labels because they kept saying the word critique of culture and things like that. And I thought, like, if you're from another country and you don't critique your culture, they're going to, like, not put you in the show. And I thought, that's like white privilege in a way. I mean, I was really annoyed with, like, you can be a, a, an artist in America and do anything you want, and it doesn't have to, quote, unquote, critique culture. But if you're an artist from another country, you do. That seems imperialist. Uh, and also, just reading the wall labels gave me a headache. So when I got on the elevator, I said to the janitor, who was also on the elevator with me, this is the only quiet place in the museum. And so that was my other thought. Like, it was a noisy show, and it's somehow they should have done something to separate the noise from other part noise, because sometimes I couldn't tell what I was listening to because there was noise that was ambient. Right. Infiltrating that, and I think right. that was disrespectful to the artists. Well, that's what I was saying when I, in a way, suggested to Sharon that it, it, she had offered what, what I read as an indictment of the curatorial premise because it's the, the curators want to give us a melange effect, a cacophony, an overload, um, and they achieve that by, um, by, by so much uh, seepage from one video to another that one doesn't really get the full effect of the impact of each of each video. I think it would have been bolder if they hadn't had the wall labels. If they've just left it for us to, to wander around and find our own way, much like we do when we're surfing the internet, for us to uh, decide what we value and what we make of things, it would have been far more interesting than the feeling that you have to read these labels and understand it the way they want you to understand it, damn it. Yes. You know, that irritated me. And I felt that if I didn't read the labels, somehow I wasn't getting the full experience. You know, there was this, this FOMO experience about having those wall labels. And I feel like had they not had them and had it been more confusing, it would have been more in the spirit of the show. Those wall I labels the show added... wasn't user-friendly. So I'm on canes, and I had to keep climbing stairs to find things. And it was kind of annoying after a while. Yes. Can everyone hear John clearly? Oh, sorry. I, I said I didn't think the show was user-friendly. I just had a, my knee replaced, my right knee replaced, and walking up and down the stairs trying to find things or see things just became finally, like, annoying. Like, why can't you be a little more user-friendly? Like, suppose you're in a wheelchair. You can't see this show. Like, what kind of culture is this? You only can be under 25 and athletic to go to the new museum? <laughs> I, I think, yes, Ryan Chakartan wants us all to be young and beautiful and um, possibly I transgender failed. as well. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, the, the wall label is an interesting point because, uh, you, you know, they, um, I, for, for maybe two-thirds of the exhibits, I really needed information to get into it. It was not mostly the kind of art that speaks of itself, for itself. It, it's... Uh, um, so much background information, I felt, was required, and I went for information, and I got critical theory from every label. 
Every label was of the kind of uh, critical theory that I just don't read to the end of the paragraph. And so uh, I don't know what, uh, you know, what, what the, the, the curators are really trying to prove. It's a very heavy, turgid prose, where, whereas what's really just required is, is uh, what, what are this artist's interests and um, what, what, what is the premise of this piece? I actually found the exact opposite. I found that the wall labels were vapid and stupid and banal, and they... I didn't say they weren't. I just said they were dense, they, critical, they, and theoretical. No, no, but they told, me, they told me everything only about what the artist's interests were and nothing about, like, what actually... why this was included and what, what the thinking was behind. The Ashland Mines uh, piece in the stairwell yeah. talked about um, his legendary parties in Las Vegas and... Los Angeles or something like that and how he's a DJ and how he was thinking about that piece in terms of like experiencing freedom and it's green lights and the roar of like a jet engine and I don't know what that has to do with freedom at all and um, you know maybe if there was some sort of like actual engagement with this stuff I would have felt a little bit better but to throw jargon in there as if it's like some sort of like um, gesture at criticality or, or, or uh, Lisa Holzer's, which was supposed to be about Lacanian subjectivity. Like, there's nothing to do with Lacanian subjectivity in those pieces. It's just junk references. And then I'm supposed to just take her at her word that, like, what she's doing is actually mm -hmm. something that I should care about. Right. Can you describe that work quickly? What, what, what was, uh, what, what's uh, Lisa Holzer did these pieces about, you know, they are made oh. with text and um, nail polish. And the suggestion is that the list of um, nail polish names and some poetry about how they call out to her as some sort of object of desire mm -hmm. is supposed to arouse some sort of like feeling in me. Um, just because I'm told that it's about subjectivity and the experience of being a person. Right. Uh, those two things don't connect to me at all. Right. So there, there's a policing of the quality of emotion that you're supposed to have rather than, as, as, as we're all saying, I think, letting the work have that effect if mm -hmm. it's, in fact, capable of, of doing so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we have a difficult task ahead of us, which is to sort of un untangle from the... Uh, vapid but theoretically dense uh, labels and from the sort of intentionally overloaded and uh, uh, inter-intrusive kind of um, um, arrangement, installation of this work to try to pick out, first of all, um, individuals that uh, we think are doing something rather interesting. Uh, and secondly, uh, once we've got those individuals, those, those ducks lined up, as it were, to try to work out if there is some um, something for us to take away here as, as the, the zeitgeist of, uh, of, of, of our moment, if this triennial is indeed representative of anything. Um, uh, so um, let me ask, though, if people felt that maybe there was any sense, was, it, was, it, was there any sense of um, uh, a contrast of feeling or, or, or theme from floor to floor and space to space, or was it uh, uh, all much of a, a likeness, did people feel? Because I, I did feel that on the um, fourth floor, I think it is, uh, that, the, the, that there was suddenly a quietening, 
uh, suddenly it was quieter and lighter, and um, uh, lighter, not just in, literally lighter, there was some, um, less somber, uh, dramatic lighting effect, and there was also um, um, a certain levity in, in the subjects on view. I'm thinking of the floor where uh, the, the video artist Olivier um, Larrick from, from Austria, um, uh, I thought that was a rather beautiful animation, actually. I thought, um, maybe I don't see enough animation, and anybody in the biz would tell me that those are utterly standard tropes, but uh, I, I was kind of impressed by the, uh, the speed and inventiveness with which um, one sort of animal turned into another and one piece of furniture into another. Um, and, and that floor also had those um, strange kind of um, uh, constructed, those frames, um, um, the large frames uh, with um, uh, the, 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 the text was telling me about some very important political meaning they all had, but they just seemed like rather nice constructivist design. Um, and uh, Valen, uh, begins with a V, that was his name. Um, Verena Dengler? Yes, Verena Dengler, yes. Uh, did anyone else have a flaw that they felt just somehow worked better than others? A space that worked better than others? Well, I like Oliver or Olivier Larrick. It's Larrick's work a lot. Oh, right. Um, and I also liked uh, Jadeka Cunili Crosby. And I liked, and I did, I was really upset because uh, Peter Wachler, who did these three charcoal drawings, you couldn't see them. I thought they were the most badly installed because you only saw yourself in the glass. And I thought they should have somehow treated his work better because somehow I thought, I probably would like this, but I can't see it. Which What's the artist's one. name, John? Peter Wachler. Ah, uh, yes, yes, well, yes. And then I liked uh, Shayus Carl, the Museum of Fetish Objects, but in a way, I, I, the lab, I thought the label kind of killed it. I was like reading, I was looking at the work and was quite fascinated, and then when I read the label, I was like kind of bummed out, like, oh, that's what it's about. It has to be about that. Why can't it be just this guy's odd thing, right? No, no, it has to be about Bollywood and the critique of culture, blah, 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 blah. Sorry. I was just, no, no, it's, it is. I think it, the word critique should be burned. Yes, yes. It should, it should critique itself and do the honorable thing, right? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I found, I found that... Um, in a lot of the work, there seemed this increasing uh, inability or lack of interest in making things visual, refining information into a visual format. And, um, and the things that were more visual or more distilled and refined, like you say with the, the charcoal drawings, were installed in a way that they were hard to see. Rachel Lord's paintings were a little bit too high. You know, Sasha Brawning's were a little bit too badly lit. Um, and so that makes, and when I was there on the fifth floor, the video wasn't working. There was sound also on the fifth floor for Lawrence's piece, the, um, I, I forget where he's from, Iran, perhaps? Uh-huh where the sound was turned down so low 
that you couldn't hear it. And I asked the guard. Oh, yes, the with guard, the record players. That, yes, uh, and I yes. asked the guard, I said, is this working? Should this be turned on? And he said, no, that's the way they want it. And I thought that was very interesting because to me that fed into my notion that it's all about the whole experience, yeah. our experience of the internet rather than what we actually find there. Because if you do indeed read all those labels, do you really remember any of the information? I think that's, to me, that, that whole process of going through it and how we feel when we go through it is what's more interesting than looking at, than picking out individual projects. Although I did quite enjoy the stairway. Ash, Ashton? Ashton Miles. Ashton yes. Miles. Because that just reinforced this whole notion that you're in some otherworldly place. That you're not, it wasn't like the stairway, it was an immersive environment. And um, Lisa, Lisa, what's her name? Lisa Tan's video, Waves, which was sort of, I don't know if anybody sat and watched that, it was about 20 minutes. And it, it was, um, she sort of was talked, star, her starting point was Virginia Woolf's novel, uh, wa wa the, waves. the Waves. And then she, but she basically told the story of how she became interested in the voiceover, showed some images of waves, and then showed her typing on the computer oh, the things and talking about communication and so forth. So in that old, you know, saying, you know, show and don't tell, I think we had a lot of telling here. And I think that it was all about how we experience the world. So, 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 I don't want to drive that point home. But. No, no, I mean, that was a particularly, to me, infuriating piece because she was in one of my favorite museums in the world and she's uh, parodying a great um, a novel that I like. Um, and, uh, but it, it, yeah, you're right. It's not, it, rather than the stream of consciousness, it's the stream of uh, ghoulness somehow. It's, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it was it a very sort of... It may not like of, the internet. Mm, and I'm a huge, uh, you know, user of it. Well, yes, you and I make our living off that beast. But um, uh, that's true. But, uh, but, but, but uh, I, I don't think we can necessarily blame the internet for... For Tam, I mean, I think she's, it's a very self-indulgent kind of sophomoric um, project of uh, uh, American in Europe. Kind of thing. Well, I, did, I was just using her as an example of how, you know, the individual pieces added up to this frustration of the show, which I mm -hmm. think is part of the point. Well, it's, it's maybe Ryan Chakartin's point and, his, and, and the New Museum's point, but it's, I don't think it's... Um, the point of the individuals who made whatever work it was that got them no, selected into No, I agree. Into this, I don't think it was is, their point at all. So that's why I'm saying that, right. like it or not, our job is to, um, is to untangle it a bit, I, I, I would suggest. I mean, don't you think that's the honorable, isn't that the right way to go? Isn't that what we should do? You're suggesting we shouldn't? No. Let's hear what Noah has to say. Well... <clears throat> um, I mean, I just, uh, uh, Casey Jane Ellison's like introductory videos um, uh, in the lobby, uh, yes. they kind of pick at this stuff a little bit. But she's also, you know, as much as they critique the actual show and what, it, what it's there for, she's also included. And so I think that, you know, these artists have a choice in some regard about like whether or not they want their work to be in there. Many of them, don't they? 
No, I, everyone. No one's. No one's been. Uh, everybody's press ganged into appearing in the the triennial. Right. And everybody's. No. It's not taken from the museum's collection, right? It's all consigned work or something right. like that. Right. One or two have been commissioned for this exhibition. Right. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I just. Uh, I don't know. I have a little bit of a hard time, like worrying over how their work is presented. Um, if they have agreed to participate in this thing that is, I think, kind of inevitably going to be a bit of a mess. Well, I think, I think that's a little... I think, I think if you're invited to be in a, an exhibition that's going to be seen by hundreds of thousands of people in New York City and as a great uh, career launcher, and uh, uh, I think if you're a serious artist and you're invited to be anything that's half serious, you'd say, yes, okay, great. But uh, that doesn't mean that just because you agree to be in a show, you, 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 it's right and proper that your work is... Uh, not shown to proper advantage, and and is, is is and becomes a pawn in somebody else's chest. Well, but the very premise of the show is sort of absurd. I mean, that there's going to be this three-year uh, exhibition with like a hundred artists or something like that, um, that is all going to be stuffed into this really bad space. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to show any of these artists work to to their advantage. Uh, that said, there were some places that I really liked in the show. I, I liked the room with Peter Wachter and Che's work and um, uh, Mangrane's uh, uh, video and like Oculus Rift thing. This sort of like um, these different sort of like experiences of environment, both uh, man-made and totalitarian mm -hmm. and virtual and natural and um, uh, yeah, that that room really worked for me, where most of the other ones did not. Yeah. Can I just pick out a few of the other ones that I actually Please. liked? Yeah. I liked the, um, as you got off the elevator, I forget which floor, Zhao Gao. Um, there oh, yes. were the seamless um, images that came down on photo paper, and then they had setups, because to me it seemed all about meta of meta of meta of meta. And it sort of had, you know, the objects on stands, being photographed in front of seamless. I don't know, I just really um, thought, thought that was... So this is a Chinese artist who had yeah. three wallpaper-like, um, the, the three scaffolds with a, a continuous loop of a sort of wallpaper and, and objects uh, very neatly arranged in front of them. Right, and I think it sort of got at the notion that, um, you know, it's not enough just to make an object anymore. It has to be the object in the setting with the information and the story. And you know the criticality, and it has to have all of those things. And I think that was, although I don't know whether that's what he was after. That was what I took away from it. And I also um, really liked the um, virtual reality piece. If you've seen pictures, it looks like there's a big drawing on the floor, and then there's something hanging down the middle. And what it is is it's goggles that you put on, and it's virtual reality. You go into this environment. And of course, the thing about virtual reality is, is that they have the hardware to do it, but they don't really have people making interesting software. And so it's, this, it's like being inside a drawing of a forest. And you walk around, and, and I just found it really um, uh, I don't know, just the way that it makes you move differently and um, the notion that it's so early in its infancy, this technology, I found a little bit moving. Yes, I saw that. That's the work of Daniel Stiegman Mangrene, um, and it's called Phantom from 2015.
there was a, a line around the block, uh, but, but within the, the room, as it were, to see that, to, to use that uh, experience. I mean, it's, uh, I guess as soon as three people are on a line, everyone wants to be on the line. So, but uh, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it's kind of telling. It's sort of a metaphor somehow for the whole exhibition. Yeah. It seems to me that people will stand in line, once they've already stood in line to get into the show, uh, to, to, to then be at last totally immersed in something that an artist has designated rather than perhaps the curators uh, in this, um, uh, uh, this virtual environment and Oculus Rift um, experience. Um, it seemed to me that there were a couple of quite strong and pervasive themes in the show, uh, which if we could perhaps think about for, for, uh, for a bit. Um, uh, one, which I'll come to in a moment, which we can come to a little later, is um, uh, the artist in the art world theme. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and, and ultimately, artist's identity. Um, but um, it seemed that, uh, and John's touched on this already with his uh, uh, annoyance at the way in which uh, artists from, particularly, I guess, third world countries are all expected to have a critique of some system uh, in their work. But there's a, a lot of very um, um, bleak investigative work into... Um, our politics, our ecology, um, our corporatism. Um, that seemed to be almost uh, a description of maybe uh, anywhere from two-thirds to three-quarters of the works on show. Um, do, do, do we feel that that is actually what the most of the best young artists are um, primarily concerned with uh, in our own experience beyond uh, the walls of the triennial? Or is this uh, an agenda of the triennial curators. I mean, we're all, um, Noah, you're a young person relative to this uh, panel. Uh, you, you, your peers, is that true of what they're all interested? The rest of us, uh, I think, all teach here and there, so we, we see what uh, people are doing. Is this, uh, is this representative, or is this an agenda of the exhibition? I think it's an agenda of the exhibition and of the curators, I th and, and also maybe a partly of the art world, that you somehow have to justify yourself, that you have to, and that you have to find the right discourse to justify what it is you're doing. And I think that's in my darkest moment. It's because I think the art world secretly hates creativity of any sort, and really just wants you to be a, a, a village explainer you know, which is like also, quote unquote, the village idiot, you know. So that sort of annoyed me, because I wanted to see something that I was completely puzzled by or bewildered by, and nothing in that show completely bewildered me. I mean, I was bewildered by the choice, but not by the thing. <laughs> yes, so. yes, being bewildered by why the hell is this artist in the show is not, not the kind of bewildering, at the same time, but, I found mm. work that I liked and spoke yes. to me and rose out of the melange of stuff, and that was thrilling. Yeah, I think, couldn't one say that if it stands out in this show, it must really stand out? Um, yeah. Uh, but, because, no, I mean, just uh, not, not because of the quality of the work overall, which I, I, I didn't, I'm not saying I don't think that the quality was high, but because of the... Uh, the overload, the density, the basically the kind of I think there's curatorial abuse sort of going on when uh, art is shown to its disadvantage to create um, 
the curator's own artistic vision, which is, I think, what's happening here. The, the artists are young and unknown enough that they can um, be used and abused in such a way. Um, uh, um, Noah, do you, do you, did you feel that the... Uh, what did you feel about the politics? Do you think that, that uh, that's really... Those are the overriding concerns of... of the generation represented in the show, or do you think it's uh, something that the curators went out to look for? Well, I don't feel comfortable speaking for a generation of people. Um, I would say that I think that there is a strong interest in um, being seen as being critical and discursive and um, having ideas. Um, I didn't find a lot of ideas in a lot of this work. Uh, I didn't find a, a lot of politics in a lot of it. I mean, I wondered, you know, um, like Lawrence Hamdan's work upstairs on the fifth floor uh, is about um, sound and um, uh, ministry in Cairo and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the roots oh, of yeah. Al-Qaeda and ISIS go right back to Cairo and Saudi Arabia. And I don't know where ISIS and um, the global war on terror were in this exhibition. And I don't know where uh, ecology was really in this exhibition, no matter, like, uh, if a wall text makes some sort of, like, gesture at that, I don't know where that actually is in this show. Um, and I mean, again, like as with, uh, the, um, the Lisa Holzer pieces that I talked about earlier and some of these other artworks, like, uh, there's all sorts of assertions made in the wall text that I did not see in that work at all. Right. No, that we've definitely, I think, established, uh, I don't think anybody here is going to champion the wall text, um, authors, um, um, or even stand bail for them. But um, no, but uh, I, I, I'm thinking of work like, um, it seemed to me that some of the most overtly political work was the dullest in the show, um, uh, the work of uh, the Philadelphia-based Josh Klein. Um, I mean, a technologically uh, quite, quite sophisticated installation. Those, um, it has, these, uh, it has a, a remake of uh, the first inaugural of uh, Barack Obama with what, some Was it strange... the first inaugural? It was listed as the first inaugural. I don't think it was. There were too many more recent references made. Oh, I think that there are references to maybe or maybe the second or maybe even a State of the Union address. I couldn't tell, actually. I mean, I think that there were references to Trayvon Martin and maybe even Michael Brown in the ah, video. So it's a, it's I think it was much more, much a more recent. subverted pastiche or, or montage of Obama. Or maybe just mislabeled. Uh, I actually like that piece a lot. Oh, you did? Excellent. Well, let's, let's, let's debate the merits of that piece. Uh, let me just, let's first of all describe it so the audience is right. sure that we know what we're talking about. It's, uh, it's a room, a darkened room, with four mannequins with sort of uh, animal-like snout faces in different... Teletubbies. Sorry? From a child's TV show. Teletubbies. Ah, thank, thank character, God we got a young characters. fellow on the panel to fill us in. I'm not speaking for his generation, no, but... No. After my time. But, but letting Koei know about Teletubbies. <laughs> okay. They're from your country, you should know. No kidding. Right. Uh, so they're Teletubbies in these very, actually rather stylish, uh, 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 monochrome uniforms, uh, within the belly of which is, uh, of each, is a, 
a video that you can listen into um, of um, people. Uh, uh, a, a voice will be reciting uh, some lines from a, a, some source on the internet. Uh, it could be the Guardian. It can be the Daily Beast. It can be some redacted documents, um, or, or, or some of them about torture and some of them about police brutality. And um, and then this this inaugural slash State of the Union pastiche uh, with a sort of robot kind of imitating uh, Obama is is on the far screen. So um, Noah is 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 about to champion in, champion this work. Um, John and uh, uh, Sharon, uh, are you um, are you going to be in agreement with him? Do you think? Well, he really has to say. All right. Well, I was hoping we would. Um, Okay, Noah, tell I, us. Okay. John, okay. yes. Yeah. It took me three minutes to figure out that it was one work. I kept thinking that two people made it and that there was a kind of schizzy, schizoid uh, split between what the Obama and the, and the four Teletubby figures, which only occurred to me later because I have a little kid. What it was, at first I thought there were Star Wars figures that had sort of gotten morphed into some weird thing. So it was kind of, and then it took me like a long time to get it. I mean, to get into the piece because I kept, I kept reading it wrong or I kept getting all the thing, you know, that I had misread it. So then I thought, does that work? Is that good or bad? I don't know. And in the end, I, I thought the thing about a, with Obama was just annoying in a way. That's, how, how, how so? Um, it seemed there was a kind of cynicism about it, about him, but it wasn't upfront. You know, it didn't reveal itself fully as to what the root of that cynicism might be, or that what, not, you know, whatever. It didn't, and it it just seemed kind of in the middle, and it wasn't it, it was it wasn't revealing itself. And then the kind of robotic way that it was presented, I just thought was like a kind of ha-ha gesture. And that I found annoying. I thought it had a lot of good ideas, but the way it was visualized and presented was just not good. Yeah. I, I guess I agree with you on that, in that some of the things it was like, oh, okay. But the way it was installed, it just didn't add up. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly won't defend all of it. I mean, I think that the... Um, the use of the Teletubbies is a very specific reference that doesn't really go anywhere exactly. I mean, I think that there are any number of cartoonish, childish references that you could put in their place. I don't really know what the purpose of the alteration of the video is or the voice. I think that that, that you could, I, I just, I imagine that you could have probably just played those videos straight and had the, the same or maybe even a greater effect. I did find it interesting the um, the sort of the I I think that the that the use of the word schizoid is like really effective here and I I think that that's really important that there is this like very schizophrenic divide between um, uh, a mouthpiece of authority in Obama. Um, in the sort of um, cold and rational text that some of these quotes were coming from in press, in like repeating press, and and then also even deader the the rep, the recitation of these 
uh, email or these uh, URLs and, and addresses. And then the, um, the very kind of charged and emotional but sort of uh, uh, tamped down nature of the uh, recitation of like these tweets and uh, uh, you know very direct and immediate sort of like forms of outrage. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, in talking about like what you were getting at a little bit earlier, sharing like the internet kind of doesn't have a voice a lot of the time. If you're reading a like, okay, so uh, if you're reading a tweet or um, a text online or something like that, maybe even in print too, like uh, the voice of the author is weirdly transcribed through your own head and it sort of becomes an inert kind of thing and so to hear people say these things that are usually uh silently perceived is i think really kind of an interesting thing and then well, i think you look at a different internet than i do <laughs> huh. well we all look at our own internet don't I we? That's, that's, I mean, that's the because whole... I, I feel like the one that's that i look at people are, the voice is pretty clear I mean, that you feel the emotional tone of, the, that there's a tone to everything that's being said that I read. I think that there's a tone, but I think that the thing, that the way that I speak and the, the things that I read people speaking online is not, and again, like also in print, it's not the sort of voice that we have oh, I right yeah, now. Right, okay. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's truncated. It's, um, you know, the insertion of all these, like, hashtag references right, right. and all this sort of stuff. It's very kind it's of coded. alien and coded, yeah, right. in a way that I think is, you know, is not often, like, vocalized in a way. Right. Right. Um, the other theme that I'm just detecting is, is, is of um, uh, the art world. And it's, it's telling, actually, that it's, it's American artists who are primarily concerned with that and it's left to artists from the rest of the world to deal with life. Um, or politics. <coughs> I suppose Philadelphia is, is in America. Um, but um, uh, Casey Jane Ellison, I, I just happened to spend a lot of time with that because as I came into the lobby, um, her show on Ovation TV uh, was, was discussing um, criticism. I thought, ah, at last, you know, we, we, we critics go off and talk about art and, and the artists are talking about criticism. That's, that's a good sort of reciprocation. It was a very curious uh, artifact. I mean, <clears throat> the same artist, Casey Jane Ellison, has what I thought was a, a very strong uh, animation uh, upstairs on, on one of the stairways that uh, challenged uh, John's uh, locomotion, uh, which, uh, uh, where, where she's, um, uh, she's, there's an animation of the, of the artist herself doing her stand-up comedy routine, which is uh, not actually stand-up because she's lying on the floor and it's not really comedy because she's moaning about life. Um, but um, then in the, in the TV show downstairs, she hosts uh, a panel. She's, she's me, and her guests face her and uh, are all women, um, uh, and uh, included some people I recognized. Uh, uh, Clarissa Dalrymple was there, and uh, Juliana Huxtable, and uh, Tundra. Um, is that her name? Uh, no, Kahindra. Kahindra? Um, not Kahindi. Uh, the, the, she's a woman and she uses uh, uh, cross-dressing men who look a bit like her in her performances. Kimbra. Kimbra. Thank you very much. Kimbra. 
Um, uh, so she, uh, these people are sort of giving her advice about how to survive in the art world. Um, uh, curious, curious episode. I couldn't work out why. It, it felt like it was a, a genuine panel discussion, but it also felt heavily staged, um, like a performance. It's all, it's all around her, around uh, Ellison. So is, is Ellison actually a narcissist, or is she playing a narcissist? I, I was left quite intrigued as to which was the case. Did anyone else see any of that uh, video? Well, I, I have to say that that sort of... Um, one of the things I, I saw running through is that the whole um, lack of uh, understanding of the self in a way as, um, you know, through the process of making these pieces, it seems like like it was clear to me that someone should have been making a TV show and someone else should have been doing a reality TV and this other person would be fantastic news reporter, you know? Like there was this, but, but, but there was this will to shoehorn themselves into being artists, which I found interesting because there's, because there, there's, there's this um, genre-busting Cross, you know, there's this, on the one hand, we're uncomfortable when the genres are all mixed up, but on the other hand, that makes it kind of interesting that things are going in different directions, and I think that's the sense that you're getting from the panel discussion, was, well, what is this? And, um, you know. Well, I think we've had, um, for better or worse, two or three decades to get used to the fact that, unlike music, where they make music, and unlike theater, where they use words and communicate, Art has uh, both um, uh, uh, a, a huge and a, and a damaged ego, the hu huge enough ego that it needs to be everything beyond just being art, and damaged that it has some inferiority complex about being visual. Yeah, so, but so we've accepted that all these other things yes. that have been coming in for the past 30 years or whatever, but now there's new stuff. Is yeah. it that new, though, no, or is it, is, it, is it actually perhaps that the triennial is, is, is a display of those young artists willing to commit to the now 30 or 40 or 50-year-old uh, notion of the expanded field and um, uh, the end of medium specificity and the end, indeed, of visuality? Yeah, but I saw a lack of commitment, though. Well, I, I agree with you, David. I think it's kind of... Baudelaire says that you have to be a man of the world and not a painter wedded to his palette the way the farmer's wedded to the soil. I mean, he identifies a crisis in modernity right at the beginning, and it seems like this is that crisis exploded because every the other thing about all the wall Texas, you know, James makes drawings, but he also does and was the and you know, and he writes poetry. And, you know, on the weekends, he drives a taxi. Yes. Apologize. Like, He's a painter, but don't, but don't, don't, you know, I was like, don't worry. But we're he not going to show any of that. So are you going to say jack of all trades, master of none? Or, I mean, that phrase kind of bumped up, you know, came to the surface a few times. And I thought, uh, what is it that you believe in, you know, or is belief a bad thing these days? I don't know. Yeah, let's see if we can end each of us on a very positive note on the triennial. What's the best thing that we can say about the triennial before opening it up to, uh, to comments on the floor? The best thing I can say is um, there are, I've discovered at least six artists here. I want to see more of their work. 
Uh, it's a mess, and messes are usually fun. Right. You like fun. You like messes. I really loved the animated reader. This book was edited by Brian Drake-Core, and I'm, I've started reading it, and it's a wonderful experience. It's a wonderful way to experience the triennial because I can sit down and actually concentrate on it and focus on it. And I think that's an interesting idea that I want to come out of this Internet environment and read a book. I, 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 there were things about the triennial I really liked. I mean, that there was work that I thought, oh, I'd like to see more of this person's work. And it's not necessarily that I liked what I was looking at. I became curious about that person. That seemed to me a lot. So there's a lot of it. I just went, oh, I've seen this before, you know. And, but so that, that's enough for me. And also that it was such a, it was like someone get, used a lot of frequent flyer miles. I mean, they went all over the place. And unless, thought, and, unless, and they was, just, unless they just did it all on their iPhone. We don't yeah, know. I mean, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, but that's, I felt like that was interesting in that you, you were seeing art from places you would not generally right. see that in New York. You know. Ladies and gentlemen, let's, uh, there'll be a mic coming around. As I say, we do record, we do podcasts, so um, don't be too so rude. So stand up, give your name, um, address. Social security number. No, just, just speak clearly into the mic. That'll do very nicely. Thank you. Great. So um, any, um, make them comments, not questions. But um, well, I have a question. Can you hear me? Um, I was just wondering if you could talk more about Indijeka's work and how you felt about it just as her own work and as included in the triennial and then also its political, you know, undertones. Indijeka. Well, you know, ah, you mean Crosby? Okay, thank you, yeah. Thank you for teaching us how to pronounce Indijeka. Um, this is the artist who John also said he liked. Uh, I love the work. Um, it's, uh, uh, there's, there's a collage element, and uh, there are sort of big figures within uh, rooms. There's uh, some erotic intimacy in, in one of the images. Um, it's an interracial couple, and the painting, the one painting is Fred, of, yes. of the woman kissing her husband's back. He's painted white, and then she's made out of dye transfer and collage that relates to her country. She's from Africa. And I was really touched by that piece. I mean, it was my favorite piece in the show. So there was also that kind of, uh, there's a kind of feeling to that painting. And the other one I was, I was not so interested in, but I thought this one was so powerful that it sort of stood out above all the other work in the show. That's how I felt about it. I don't, I've never seen her work before, know nothing about her. I thought the wall label was not so great, but so, because I, the more I looked at it, the more I saw and the more mysterious it became and, and changing in some way that it was, didn't have that singular reading that the wall label kind of demanded you have, which I thought lessened the work, actually. I, I saw went to her open studio when she was at ISP. I don't know, probably a couple years ago now. And I've always liked her work, and it was great to see it in the show. And, and uh, uh, you know, she has such a wonderful technique. Um, you, 
I'm going to throw in a tiny piece of trivia here and say that she, uh, my uh, assistant, who I've already given a shout out for, Anna Shukilo, who did the video, told me, ah, she was her best friend at PAFA, and she, this woman, and Doron Langberg, whose work we discussed at the last, and, and was a star, in fact, of the last uh, review panel, um, kind of all shared a studio at um, Pennsylvania Academy. So, and I can see elements of each his work in the other. But I, I think this is really, there's something uh, very tender about the work, and at the same time, some almost Gustav Klimtian in her, the use of collage. Um, um, it's very, uh, yeah, it's, it's, in a, it's in a terrain that's similar to, to some other, um, I would say, artists from Africa, um, uh, uh, senior moment, uh, we discussed her here on the review panel, a woman who had a big show at the Brooklyn Museum, Anybody? Yes, Mutu. Excellent. Thank you. Wangechi Mutu. Wangechi Mutu. Yes. Yes. Um, but I felt this was more, more like more weird and less uh, whatever else Mutu was doing. Less, less agenda, more tenderness. And yeah, more. it was an odd moment to come across that because of that. And it seemed like a strange fit. Yes. Cool. Um, some more. Some more. But um, at this stage, it would be better to get some comments, not questions, please. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I don't really have a comment, but a, a question. But I can, I can phrase it as a comment. You know um, what's funny is that Every panel discussion that I go to that asks for questions, they get commentary about <laughs> why such person in the audience should be on the panel. And well, here we ask for comments and we always get questions. Well, I'm really, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're here to hear your take on these things. So. Okay, ask away. Um, well, my comment is, is I was surprised by the show represents um, artists from 25 different co countries. And I was surprised how um, culturally homogenous it felt and um, and so if I were to ask a question I would ask how does it reflect on a global culture or where is the country specific specificity in the different artists and um, but you can leave it at a comment it's a very good question and a very good comment thank you very much and in a way I think uh, John has actually uh, sort of address that, saying that, you know, it, it seems like the curators have uh, only given permission to be in this triennial if you're an artist from the third world of your critiquing, in other words, and, and it, he used the, the very word imperialist, uh, and you've used the word homogenous, and I think it's, uh, that's, that's the, same, the same deal, isn't it? Yes. Great. Yeah. Um. Hi. I just... Uh from John's comment when, you, when we first walked in, um, did you find there was a tinge of racism in this exhibition? No, I wouldn't go that far. You wouldn't go that far? No. Because I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Uh, so what you said, it sounded like you felt like... Well, I'm a hypersensitive, thin-skinned Asian man, but I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't think... I didn't want to see that, you know what I mean? I didn't want... I just... I did feel... Like you had to be a certain kind of person to be in that show. You had to think in a certain way, or at least that was the presentation. And I just uh, I felt like, you know, 
an American or an English artist, he or she can do anything he or she wants and nobody needs to understand it or stick it in a discourse, but how, somehow everything in the show, but they were Americans too, stuck in a discourse and that just bugged me. It seemed like, well, if you really believe in artistic freedom, then why do you have to be stuck in this discourse? And I thought it was a bit disrespectful, but I wouldn't say racist. Okay, good. Let's... I'm afraid I've got a question, too. Um, this is a man who's been on the review panel, Michael Brenson, and even he asked lots of questions. It's really a question about, Sharon, you started out by saying that you felt that you were, in, to some degree, inside the internet when you were in the show. And there were, there were hints of, um, of responses to this kind of technology, but I don't know what you feel about that. Like, I, I certainly know what Ryan Tricartan thinks about the digital world and what his relationship to it is. So I'm just wondering if you did feel that there were, that you were to some degree inside this technology or inside that machine, what does that mean? And do you actually feel, and this is for all of you, do you actually feel that, that there is some kind of insight or some kind of perspective on, on the new technology that it's provided by this show that you weren't aware of before? Well, I think it's always interesting how we say we're on the internet, because it's sort of like drugs, you know? We're on the internet. It's like, uh, and... Um, rather than in it. Yeah, rather than in it. We're on the internet. And, um, and so when I say, and so I'm always looking, and so I feel that because we're so hooked into technology now, I mean, we all have iPhones, and we all have Instagram, and we all have Twitter and Facebook, and maybe not all of us, but, you know, most people I know. And um, we're so hooked into it. And I think it's creating this new consciousness in a way where in the old days it was we were thinking about external things or in, interior or exterior, but there's this other thing now. And it's not just a matter of, um, you know, making paintings like that post-analog painting show that just opened downtown at the Hole. It's not just a matter of, you know, making paintings of things we see on the internet, or like Forever Now, where she's, um, you know, people are using the internet as research, and therefore all of our history is now our sketchbook. It's not that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how our consciousness has changed. Like, if you pay attention to how you feel when you're on your phone, or when you're looking at it, and then, you know, your relationship to the world around you changes. And so I feel, and so this is something I've been very interested in lately, and I just got that sense of it in this show. But I love technology in general. Well, say. you know, I, I wondered how much more interesting I found the show when I was walking around it. The second time I went there with my phone out all the time and looking at other things and, and letting myself get distracted. I mean, I think that in general, the dialogue around how the internet is changing us and uh, how this is a new, different era is a little bit overblown. And um, I started to think that there were things about this show that I learned from reading William Burroughs and his discussion of the cut-up and like how uh, cinema is a fractured way of experiencing the world, walking down the street and looking from like, um, you know, an advertisement to a bus stop to, you know, your watch or something like that is like a completely 
a disorienting thing when you start to unpack it, but is completely natural when you're within it. And also, uh, you know, we're in, we're on the internet, we're in cyberspace. I mean, I, these sort of terms I think are pretty flexible and fluid and maybe don't necessarily get at the heart of like what it is to experience this. I thought the use of the internet was kind of low level that they, that was sort of depressing actually, because I feel like there are artists that probably are not probably who have used it at a high level and have really extracted something from it and shown us something. And this seemed really kind of, low level and that was like mm, the curator should have done more work because they're out there and you just but maybe not under 35 maybe you have to well, well maybe the, for, the formats are not conducive to a museum presentation because the the real pioneers of digital art will be doing things that you experience on the phone or within facebook so um then to represent that you have to to reify it for a museum is to defeat its own purpose I thought it was interesting that uh, uh, Frank Benson's sculpture of uh, uh, Juliana Huxtable was a 3D print. Um, and, and that, um, I, I thought it was a, uh, a charming, I, I, I enjoyed looking at that sculpture. And uh, uh, I don't think it's a great work of sculpture, but it's, its import is twofold. One is that it, um, it, it glamorizes and exoticizes um, uh, uh, a woman in the process of transformation in the sort of hermaphroditic, hermaphrodite state uh, presently, uh, and then references, obviously, the, the Greco-Roman uh, statues of, on that theme. Um, and the other is that it is uh, this new technology. So our, our, the, the technological possibilities of belonging to a third gender and the technological possibilities of three-dimensional printing uh, occurring at the same moment in history gives that gives a kind of conceptual um, roundness to what's truth be told a kind of flat sculpture. I mean, it, it could have been just as good a sculpture um, in uh, glazed ceramic as it was in 3D printing. So uh, it's it's a, it's I guess therefore a conceptual a conceptually successful, visually okay work. And that's interesting that one can have that mix and still sort of, in a way, be satisfied. Um, well, I'll take one more comment. If it is a comment, if it's a question, I'm going to throw something at you. Um, and we're then going to move on to... Um, there's, a, there's a hand at the front. Uh, uh, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm groping for a Rousseauian uh, quote of some sort. Uh, the experience of the show sounds like a virtual of the virtual, in a way. I mean, I think when you, <clears throat> I think generally speaking, when you experience the web, you experience it as a peephole, something you're looking at alone, yet this is an environment that you're experiencing with other people. That changes how you experience the, multi the multiplex of the internet. Is there any is there any food for thought there? Oops, a question. Sorry. It was a question, yes. It was almost not a question. Uh, it, there is definitely food for thought, and we will think about it. Let's now, get our, let's now move on, uh, panel uh, and audience, to uh, the Invitational. Um, uh, we're going to see a video which will um, uh, take us... Uh, 
recreate that experience of walking around the galleries uh, for us. Uh, and uh, following that, um, I'll tell you what we're doing. Oh, okay, excellent, good. Now, um, I'm going to very quickly explain, because um, I'm, we're conscious of the time as well. Uh, the triennial was more, there was more to say about it than I realized, but that's great. Um, uh, here's, here's what we're doing. Now, first of all, the, the American Invitational is a very different um, category of exhibition than the triennial. The triennial, obviously, trying to take the temperature, represent a generation, um, uh, present new talents. Uh, the, the Invitational, which is at the American Academy of Arts and Letters, out of curiosity, how many of our audience got to see the exhibition we're talking about up there? Uh, it's a fairly, it's a pretty substantial, well, that's a, that's a simple majority, I think, of, of those in the room, uh, which is impressive. It's obviously um, not on everybody's, well, some people I know live next door, but it's uh, actually not on everybody's beaten track uh, at 157th Street, 156th Street. Uh, on Broadway, uh, it's a venerable old institution, um, uh, although not as old as this one, interestingly enough, but it's the American Academy of Arts and Letters, and um, a committee of its uh, academicians um, uh, invites, um, selects artists to be invited to be in the exhibition. They, they send in their own choice of works, uh, and um, the, the big thing about it is, I mean, the show is kind of open for a few weekends. It's, it's a very short uh, run of exhibition uh, for, for the, um, in terms of uh, days that is open to the public. But um, the big thing about this is uh, a whole slew of endowed uh, prizes, either uh, simple cash awards on merit to um, artists um, endowed and named for venerable donors or venerable artists of the past, um, or uh, um, uh, purchase prizes. And, uh, uh, what we're going to do here on the panel is play a little game. We are going to constitute uh, a selection committee ourselves. We are the academicians. Uh, uh, we are deciding um, on three artists that we can uh, purchase their works for museums. Um, we are going to do... Uh, we're what we're doing is a game, so we're not playing entirely to reality. In reality, of course, um, what happens is they decide to buy the work of uh, nice lady in the front row. Uh, they then, uh, once they've given her the money, they then go to uh, uh, the Museums of America and say, do you want it? And um, sometimes that's um, a negotiated struggle to get, um, for some bizarre reason, uh, to get your wonderful work into the right museum, and it may end up in some museum in Nebraska. Well, what we're going to do is assume that we have some, um, and there's nothing wrong with being in Nebraska, but we are going to uh, uh, we are we are going to play a game where we say actually we, and you know, with John Yao on the committee, I don't think this is such a fantasy. We have such clout that um, that uh, we can just tell these museums what they're taking, and we're going to buy uh, one work each. Um, or one artist each for the Museum of Modern Art, the Whitney, and the Met. Um, and you'll decide which is first and third prize. I'm not going to end my career as an art critic by saying which is first, second, and third prize, but those are the institutions for which we're buying works. Um, and we each have the power as committee members. I'm, I'm a 
full-fledged member. So we each have the power to nominate three individuals for the shortlist. And once we get our shortlist of a dozen um, names, we are going to decide on the three that we're going to purchase. Now, again, also in the interests of time and getting on with it and having fun, uh, in reality, one should be choosing individual pieces, and also in reality, um, one thinks about, oh, MoMA has tons of James Sienna's, they don't need another one. Uh, we're going to assume that every artist we pick is already well represented in those museums, so there's no issue like that at play. It's just a bonus to get this work, i.e., what do we feel from having seen this exhibition? Who do we feel is is coming out as really strong. Okay, so yes, uh, art isn't a sport, art isn't a talent contest. Uh, it shouldn't be reduced to this. But in reducing it to this, what we do is provide a game where we are a little more invested in making some choices and we reveal our tastes and not just our tastes by voting, but our tastes by arguing, trying to persuade each other um, of the merits of who it is that we're putting forward. A balloon debate, if you like. Now, here's how we're going to do it. Um, you've seen that video, which is very nice. Many of you know the names. But nonetheless, we're going to like, give like, a split second each, again, to each artist. And um, the panelists are then going to give shout-outs. Um, they're going to, uh, as I say, each of them has the power to nominate three individuals to go onto uh, the short list. So we'll end up with 12 names. But they also have the power to shout, to, to uh, say a word or two about anyone who comes up. They just want to say, well, I'm not nominating this artist, but, and a couple of thoughts on that artist. But literally, it's got to be snappy, folks, because uh, we're on an agenda. Right. So if I press that, here we go. Right. So Kyle Staver. And we don't have the titles, I'm afraid, because it just takes too long to type them in and read them out. But um, that actually is Pandora's box. I'm giving a shout-out for Carl Staver. In fact, I'm going to nominate her. I'd like her to get one of the purchase prizes. Um, a fresh, lively touch, um, an intuitive connection to old master traditions, but with some contemporary oomph, and a bit of feminism, I would say. So she gets one of my votes. Richard Van Buren. Elliot Green. I'm not nominating Elliot, but I do like the way he handles paint. You do like what? The, the way, way he, he handles, handles paint. paint. Chuck Bodish. Uh, not nominating, but I love his touch. I love his uh, quirky uh, placement of figure against ground, the, the flatness and the depth. Eleanor Ray. These are tiny, by the way. Not nominating, but they can be quite exquisite, perhaps sometimes too exquisite. Love the energy of his work. Not nominating, but love the energy here. There's a, you know, 
materials pasted on top and lots of gooey paint and energy and combining ideas from history. Yeah, a younger African-American artist who gets some of that uh, um, raucous energy of um, 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 somebody whose name will come to me in an hour's time. And fantastic color. A venerable teacher at many institutions, including the New York Studio School, where both Steed and Ray um, were students. I thought this was dynamite. I'm almost tempted to nominate it. Uh, I've never heard of this artist. Extraordinary, um, monumental. Um, I might nominate it. Well, you got to make a decision pretty I soon have, here. Yes. I, I nominate um, Harry Rose. Um, why? Um, because I think they have a clarity that's very unusual in work that um, seems to be treading in the territory of minimal art, but in fact is quite maximal in their trompe l'oeil um, uh, affection for shape. And um, uh, I think that they, they um, are quite illusionistic. They, they defy their, their weight um, in a kind of broke way. I could keep us here all night just saying that I love it all, but it's, it's, it's actually one of my favorite shows. I, I, it's, uh, um, and it's hard to be critical or uncritical about it, but um, it, for the percentage of winners and the, and the opportunity just to see good work in the perfect environment, um, it's hard to beat the uh, invitation. Oh, I nominate Tamara Gonzalez. Right. And can I just say why? You must say why. You know, I, I'd like to nominate her for the Whitney. And um, I'd like to see her do a solo show there. I'd like to, I like her use of patterns, colors, energy. They're so of our time. The sampling, spray paint, abstraction, disparate sources gleaned from the internet. Um, to me, it seems like an antidote to zombie formalism. And uh, her work has a unique combination of open-endedness and resolution, uh, sloppiness and control. And I'd like to see her in a group show with Philip Gustin, Milton Avery, and Arthur Dove at the Whitney. Right, okay. Yeah, I'm now torn because this is this is the third person I was going to nominate. I, I hadn't heard um, of Beth Livensperger before, um, and the work just had a kind of luscious, almost edible um, painterly touch, and um, really uh, seemed to be very intelligently about 
um, the frames, the, the, the uh, uh, planes, um, um, but in a way they're, they're very close actually, they make me think of the German artist Thomas Scheibitz, but uh, they're a little more homespun and American. Almost makes me want to withdraw my nomination of her and give it to Nancy Chun. Um, but I think what I might do is actually withdraw my nomination of Harry Roseman and nominate her instead. <laughs> Which is um, Beth. Beth teaches at SUNY Purchase, and she's a wonderful painting teacher. Ah, excellent. Okay. She teaches at SUNY Purchase, and she's a wonderful painting teacher. Uh, somebody tell Jerry Saltz that David Cohen nominated three women. Okay. Thank you. That David Cohen nominated three women. It's my. Did I skip an artist? No. That's her. That's Beth. That's Beth Livensberger. Excellent. Claudia McNulty. Robert Witts. Paul Bauman and the Brooklyn Collectus. Willard Buckley. I'll nominate him. Ah. I love those. I thought those were great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I thought that they were some of the better crafted works in the exhibition, and uh, they were really handsome. And I really liked his use of color. Fantastic. One outdoor piece and one, one in there, the, the luminous marigold yellow. Jeremiah Pulsebos Offord. I nominate Med Medry McPhee. Yeah, just, just in a word, though. Okay. Hold back your At arguments. At the Metropolitan. For the, for the Metropolitan. Doesn't matter where, but yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to put them on a short list and then decide. Yeah, just in a word. Then They, what's... they have this Kate Sage painting there, and I'd like to see um, Medry's work hung next to Kate Sage. Kate Sage. But I think I like the, dis the dislocation and sort of evokes dislocation and they're these enigmatic, unidentifiable objects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not nominating them because I've used up my nominations, but um, uh, I, I thought this was a another strong room. I mean, Hunt is a venerable, uh, they're exquisite pieces and um, uh, strange enigmatic forms. And, and this, this other guy, um, Brian, uh, this one, uh, Christian Johnson, um, pretty lovely kind of, I don't think it's watercolor, but it's a kind of very aqueous, uh, soaked, shaped uh, page um, uh, paper. And um, yeah, quite strong and effective pieces. James Yeah, I'd nominate him. Yes? Yeah. Yes, right. James Siena, who's a, the subject also of a solo sculpture show at the moment at Pace Wildenstein. Um, an artist has been reviewed on the review panel. Noah can hold his arguments for him until we come to the discussion. 
Joshua Marsh from John Yao, right. Uh, please. He used to secretly take drugs. We don't know what they are But now we know. Right. Perhaps he produces drugs. Perhaps we're taking them by... by I'm not nominating this one, but I just love the way he's combined these different types of paintings in one humongous canvas. He's done some beautiful work in his life, and I don't think he's, he's born in 1934. And, and, and these are not, I like the small one, but I, I thought they should have, or he should have picked a different larger painting. He did one, a beautiful painting based on Ensor that I thought was quite stunning that was in his show at Kent. I've, I've, I've been going to look at his work for years, and I, th I think he does beautiful work. But. Yeah, I thought that pretty, pretty stunning piece. Um, I thought the politics was a bit thin, uh, but uh, uh, in a way, um, you know, it, it comes it, um, comes out. Uh, it's it's if it was in a museum, I would see it. I would wonder how it how well it would fare if it was hanging in the same room as Golub and Kitai, who are sort of underpinning it in some ways. But uh, he's definitely a strong, significant force. A shout out for Di Benedetto, who's got a, a solo show at the moment, um, or at least did, I may have missed it, in um, Chelsea, and is at Derek Ella Gallery, and is, which, which, which is through the weekend, fantastic. He's also in a group show that's on, thank you, and he's also in a group show that's um, on till the end of the month at Brian Morris uh, Gallery. I'm going to nominate James Clark. I wish they had given him better space. I thought and it was really interesting how like all the, the insulation was looked bad in the yeah, show I know. compared really to the annoying. triennial. Yeah. It was like, hey. Yes, it's odd that they put both. Uh, I, I had to be told there were two different artists. They had two artists using light, that, so they put them in a dark room, and that's kind of a bit disastrous in a way. It's the opposite of the, you know, the new museum, they have no idea what to do with a painting, and um, in the American Academy, they only know what to do with a painting. I'm nominating Tomiko Kawada. Oh, 
Yeah, because so many people have used pantyhose for the fact that they stretch, but I love the fact that she's using them in this really sort of pathetic way. Well, if you want pathos, go to pantyhose. Actually, I'm not sure if Tomiko is a she. Neither am I. It is a she. Well, and also these words. Well, I'm nominating Brenda Goodman. Right. And we'll I think find. that's three, right, that I've nominated? Yeah, yeah. I love Andrew's paintings, and, but if I had one more nomination, I would be tempted to nominate. Go well with your pantyhose. I'm not, I can't nominate her, but I, 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 I was quite moved by, I was moved by uh, Jane Rosen's um, carvings. They had a, a elegant simplicity. Um, and, and rather beautifully installed, actually, in that alcove. Um, sort of... Um, Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, fantastic. So we, let's just check, just check. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Seem to have ten. I don't know, uh, but that's... Uh, seem to have ten. Did I... Did I uh, so just... Um, I guess I'm nominating Beth Liffensperger, Kyle Staver. Oh, I've written her name down twice. That would help. Yes. Um, oh, and then... So then... Oh, so who was the third... Oh, yes, what's the name of that woman? Uh, Nancy Gunn, is it? Uh, um, Chun? Nancy Chun. Gosh, okay. Well, I, I gotta confess to having really liked a lot of the people that other people nominated, so it doesn't matter who nominated them, we have on our short list of 12, Beth Livensberger, Kyle Staver, Nancy Chun, Tamara Gonzalez, Willard Buckley, James Siena, Joshua Marsh, James Clark, Tamiko Kawata and Brenda Goodman. Uh, so, uh, difficult job, panel. Uh, we're going to have to fight as if our life depends on it, even if um, we're secretly rather in love with uh, some of the other people's nominations. Uh, and we've got three institutions, uh, three institutions with very distinct characters, obviously. MoMA, Whitney, Met. Um, uh, let's start with... Um, well, let's just try and whittle it down. Let's try and um, uh, let's see uh, who we. Um, uh, if we, if you, if you didn't, here's an interesting exercise. If you were not allowed to vote for the person, any any person that you nominated, um, of the remainder on this list, um, who who do you feel strongly about? Um, uh, any of those names, John? Beth Wibbinsberger, I liked. Um... I thought the, these are the best works by Tamara Gonzalez I'd seen. I mean, I'd seen her show at the gallery, the James Siena. Uh, yes, ran. the Sometime Gallery. And right. 
And mouth. I thought these works were larger than anything of hers. I saw sort of more results. I thought those I liked. Yes. And, um, geez, who else is on the list? Uh, Tomiko Kawata, the, the um, pantyhose. Um, and uh, I think you nominated James Clark. So, uh, James Siena has been put forward by. Uh, All right. I'll go for him. Y yes, yes. That okay. was enthusiastic, wasn't it? Yes, you're really getting into the spirit of this. Fantastic. Um, uh, Noah, are there, are there some names that you didn't nominate that are really resonating with you? Uh, I'd definitely vote for uh, Tamara. And um, uh, was Eleanor Ray on that list? Uh, no, she wasn't, I'm afraid. I, um, um, if I'd known it was going to get a vote, I might have held back. Uh, sorry, silly. No, she's not, actually, at this stage. Um, He's not, um, but Carl uh, uh, Staver was, um, uh, Joshua Marsh is, um, Brenda Goodman. Well, well, you know, if I uh, had to vote for others than my own, I'd vote for Joshua Marsh. Uh, it was a close call for me. I liked his work very much. I thought it had this sort of interesting blend of nostalgia and contemporary color. Um, and I also, I was drawn to the Willard Bopal. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's an artist I revere uh, from, from a deep place. Willard Buckley, the sculptor who had the yellow wooden constructed piece in, inside and the gray work in the courtyard. Um, in fact, we can enjoy doing this. Um, let's, let's actually... Um, Uh, yes, it's alphabetical. I think we've maybe seen the images enough. Um, here they are. Willard Buckley. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Noah, talk us through Willard Buckley. What, 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 what's, what are the strengths? It's kind of a weird, collapsed kind of Anthony uh, Caro. Um, I don't know. It seems really haphazard to me and sort of offhand, but it's not at all. Um, and again, I really like his color, and I, I think that uh, his craftsmanship really um, uh, is admirable in this show. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a disabled artist, so he works through, um, uh, through assistance, uh, directing. Uh, but I think the, the craftsmanship's not about individual touch, is it? It's, it's about uh, seeing, seeing lines in space and, and a, a truly kind of sculptural um, understanding. I think that the, the idea of a sort of deconstructed Caro is, is interesting and resonates with his, uh, his own trajectory as, as somebody who was um, an assistant to Bennington colorfield painters and sculptors and um, for whom Caro was the, the, the dominant force at that time. Um, and that... Um, um, audience, it's incredibly distracting to try to speak against a, a room of whispering, um, and and that um, uh, we, he, his his um, his verticality in his earlier work was a conscious um, uh, going against the 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 fact that sort of Caro dominated the the landscape format. So I think 
in a way, he's sort of slaying that uh, anxiety in the more recent work. I, I think these are among his strongest works as well, actually. He's, he's somebody who's often worked through these very um, um, one form at a time, uh, the sort of things that look like a bit like ladders, things that sort of look a bit like shelves, and I think things that look like looms. And I think he's at the stage now of having kind of gone beyond uh, elaborating the strong uh, form to, to kind of just letting his hair down. Um, so I, I, I back you up. Any, any feelings on Buckley? Any negative feelings? Come on, we don't, don't have to have a love in here. We've got to eliminate some names. Why should we get rid of no, uh, Willard Buckley, do you think, uh, John? There's nothing new about it, really. It's, it's uh, you know, it's a be they're beautiful objects, but I, I don't get the sense that they represent our particular time in any distinctive way. Right, right. That's, that couldn't, can, of course, hold against an artist. Um, uh, it could be that um, he, he reminds us of better times, but um, uh, that... Uh, that he's, a, he's actually heroically continuing a kind of modernist project, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, just as a, yeah, just as a, an academic painter might be continuing a, a figurative tradition. Uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a difficult argument to rebut. Uh, Noah, would you, would you say, would you, would you give in as easily on that one? The argument that he's continuing some sort of modernist tradition, I, do, I, don't, I, I don't like that heroic and continuing a modernist tradition or better times or anything like that. No, but do you think that um, he's not uh, of, of our own times? Uh, that's harder to say. I mean, I think that it's, it, like, it's very formally attractive in, and... Um, and I like that, and I th I think that that's um, probably about the strongest argument that I want to make for it. Okay, you've also nominated uh, James Siena. Now, is he how how is he faring in the uh, zeitgeist topicality front? Uh, these are algorithmically elaborated works. Uh, they are, uh, but they're kind of zany, aren't they? This yeah, little mad magazine ish. Yeah. And I, I really love that he paints on these thick aluminum slabs. I, I think that it, it makes the paint do really interesting things that I enjoy a lot. Really um, shows off his hand in a really beautiful way. And they are crazy and kind of weird. Right, right. Um, uh, feelings on Sienna from our other panelists? You must speak into oh, the mic. Sorry, I, I I've written about him. I like his work a lot. Um, I guess maybe uh, I'm sort of for the lesser known artists that on the nominated list because that's just my Asian male nature. I you know I I've I've loved James Sienna's work uh, over the years and. Um, I just, sometimes I get to the point, though, and I say, but, but what next? 
well, you could say what next is sculpture, typewriter work, right. uh, new algorithms. Right. Uh, but he's that's done not portraits, what we're at. faces. Yeah. I know, it's but true. But we're looking at these particular paintings. It's true. We're looking at... Not the oeuvre. Yes. I believe we're our that's instructions. That's true. Yeah, we are not looking at that. So that's fair enough. And I, that's why I kind of didn't nominate So him. that's why I was but, actually yeah. so happy to see that show of sculpture. It's at pace right now. Okay, cool, cool. I'm happy to see new elaborations within what he's best at, but um, I, 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 I can see how some of these other artists have got their the best foot forward and, and, and Sienna is, um, yeah, there's a little bit of the and hair I, and tortoise I love thing. that he has a gallery too. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Somewhere else? Uh, sometimes. Sometime. Sometime, which means it, it sometimes has a show, sometimes doesn't. Yes. Um, cool. Uh, Brenda Goodman, well, there's a, there's a kind of, there's a sort of powerhouse paintings, aren't they? Um, um, uh, tell, us, tell us why they're important, uh, John. Are they of their time? I think, I think those are the best paintings she's done. I mean, I've been following her for quite a long time. I'm about to, I've been asked to write about her survey show for the Creative Arts Center in uh, Detroit. Um, I think these are her best paintings. She's put all these different things together, uh, geometry, the surface of the painting, drawing and paint, and they, they kind of reveal more and more about themselves as you look at them. And also I think all these people like I always say, Philip Gaston, Philip Gaston, don't you see Philip Gaston? I think that just sucks. I don't see Philip Gaston in these works, and it's like, Let's, you know, stop mentioning, like, you know, there's the, like a mushroom things. Like some of you guys go out and you think, oh, that's a really good mushroom. And you eat it and you die because you think it's, it's not really the mushroom you wanted because you think it looks similar. This does not look similar to Philip Gustin. Sorry. Space is different. You know, yeah. What about Jen, of, what no. about Jensen or early Carol Dunham or someone like that? No, I don't see that either. They look, um, you know, I, I admire her energy and her courage, and um, I think uh, uh, I, I, I enjoy her, renew, her new success. Um, they, could have been painted, they could have been painted in the 1950s, though. I mean, they have a very, the palette is very um, kind of old, oldie work. Um, um, well, I just, uh, it's a very good question. Um, I don't know why I said that. I, 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 everyone says she's courageous. So I, 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 I yeah, I, I plead guilty. She's not courageous. Miserable coward. Um, but, but the paintings, though, um, do not seem, I mean, you're, you're worried about Buckley not seeming fresh. These are, to my mind, um, uh, it could be in the Salon d'Automne in 1966. Really. I have no. to I put it out there. Nah. No? I disagree. I mean, the, the geometric figures, um, yeah, I think Manette Larson is somebody who does that, whose geometry is really galvanizing. Um, no, I like, I'm a fan of Manette Larson. Good, good. I've yeah. about I just saw her, her out there. But, I mean, look, the, the, the red figure is a kind of constructivist, almost El like um, kind of figure. But then the, the yellow figure is it's, it's kind, of, kind, of, kind of childlike sort of our brute quality. And um, what are they doing together, really? And that, and that, that tile work at the top, it's, it's, um, 
That's the ground that she starts with, and out of that she finds the shapes, and then she starts to make her painting. Which she, and, and it seems to me um, the fact that it doesn't go together is why I like it, because you know, there's a notion that things have to fit together a certain way, or as if life you know, all adds up. When did life all add up? Right, right. Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Resolute. Anyone who reads the blog would know that. Um, and I just find, I agree with you, David. I think that the paintings are, are a bit on the clunky side. And um, I usually love materiality and thick paint, but there's just something about these that just don't do it. Oh, I like clunkiness. There was one I did like. The We're one not all that ballet had, dancers. The one that had the brown, bricky. No, uh, we no, oh, we don't have that one. Yeah. Um, you know, and I like that one very much. The netting, by the way, is not netting. That was all done and dripped out of a bottle with a little tiny nozzle. So, I mean, so that you see that in each painting, there's a different way of putting on the paint, which in 1965, when David was born and thinking about back to that moment, Painters then didn't actually put on paint in different ways, mostly. I mean, they were more, in a, they worked in a more styled, narrower way. And I think she's opened that up by the way she puts on paint in lots of different ways, which is kind of proves unpredictable, you know? And uh, I also I think I this find is her a, work so predictable. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh. Well, I'm never talking <laughs> to you again, Sharon. I'm just <laughs> announcing this now publicly. Damn. Um, Take this stuff seriously. So, uh, any any feelings on uh, Brenda Goodman, uh, Noah? Really? No, agnostic. That's a that's a perfectly reasonable place to be. Um, um, I, I um, Nancy Chun. Um, uh, that's a wacky thing, isn't it? Um, it? Was it quite early in the display? I wish I could. Um, I might just jump to the. PowerPoint, because otherwise uh, everyone's going to get a headache. We can feel we're back in the new museum. Um, oh, come on, Chan, you are here. Uh, I'm going to have to. Okay, hang on, hold, hold your spot. He's really trying to drive us crazy. Right, I'm in charge now. Yeah. <laughs> this is a coup d'état. He's been overthrown. Yay. <laughs> You're a Luddite. No, I, I'm not used to a PC. How do you go back to... Um... That's called a Luddite. Yes, okay. No, it's not. It's called a progressive because you use Macs. Okay, uh, all right. Nancy Chan, a big, the big... Um, the big funny one. The big funny one, yeah. Uh, she, oh, she's in the same room as Harry Roseman, so we should be coming into it um, very soon. Uh, there she is. Yes. No, no, we're, we're here, we're here. That's her name, and here's the work. Um, I mean, it's, um, I, I, it's kind of got a Richard Scarry feeling to it. I know it's a huge, you know. Uh, well, it's funny how the bugbears of illustration and decoration, I, 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 I think it's fine that it's illustrative and decorative, and uh, because it's, it's just the, the energy, the chutzpah of it uh, um, is... Um, it's quite stunning. Um, uh, it's, I, I, I'm sort of playing, I don't know why I'm nominating it, because it's not me, 
really at all. Um, uh, but um, I, I want it in the mix. I want it. Uh, I want it thought about. Um, I think the it's political. It's a, it's 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 about six hundred New Yorker cartoons put together, um, uh, which doesn't sound like a recommendation. But uh, somehow it it's it. We we need to see a subway station. Uh, we need a fourth prize for subway stations. Oh, great <laughs> and, idea! Um, great uh, idea! And, and this would be this would be the one for the subway station. But that's of course breaking the rules and unfair because maybe uh, you know we'd, if we'd known that we'd have uh, nominated someone else. Um, um, what about the uh, Tomiko Kawata, the the, um, the the stockings lady? I mean, I you it seems um, I'm going I'm to call you out on that one because it seems um, uh, it, it, it's a it's a handsome enough. Thing, but um, haven't had, isn't somebody like Sarah Lucas really the, the queen of, of, of pantyhose at this stage? Um, or isn't Belmer really after Belmer? Doesn't this look just too too safe, too too easy? Well, you know the thing that I'm attracted to is that they're they're not stretched out, and and that they're, she, she's she's using them in their most pathetic, small and lifeless way. You know, and um, so they're relying only on their color to draw our attention. And I, I'd like to see them at MoMA, to be honest, David. I'd like to yeah. see them at MoMA, and I'd like to see them alongside some minimalist work that it uses industrial materials. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're obviously not going to be able to persuade each other, but luckily we've got you here. So um, rather than taking any comments, what we're going to do is this, much better than comments, you're going to have the final word. Um, you're going to vote, okay? You can vote for three people. Uh, you, uh, I rely on your honesty. Please don't vote more than three times. Um, and please... Get megaphones out now. And, and please do vote. Um, you must vote three times. And you mustn't vote more or less than three times, okay? So you, here, just to remind you... Otherwise, you lose your citizenship. Beth Livensberger, the woman doing the paintings with uh, like frames within frames. Uh, there's Kyle Staver, those uh, buxom, boisterous uh, uh, female figures and male figures and fish figures. Um, there is um, Nancy Chan, who you see on the screen now. Uh, there is Tamara Gonzalez, uh, who, who um, well, 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 don't worry, we're not voting yet. I'm running through the list to tell you who you can vote for. Um, there's Willard Buckley, the, the constructivist sculptor. There's James Siena, the algorithmic uh, paintings on enamel. There's Joshua Marsh, the otherworldly, allegedly drunk-taking um, sort of surrealist painter. Uh, there is uh, James Clark. Tell me what he looks like, someone quickly. Lights. Uh, lights. lights. And, there are, and there is one pink. Uh, sculptor pink. in that dark room, uh, neon no, no, lights. There's the pink that he did in that little alcove closet. Which I thought was really mysterious. Okay. It's like a weird science fiction interrogation um, room. And there's Tamiko Kawata, the hosiery lady, and there's Brenda Goodman, the subject of some heated debate. Now, um, uh, who wishes to vote for Beth Liffensberger? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Did you put your hand up after I counted this side? You? No, the woman behind. Did you put your hand up late? So 13, is that right then? He's a cheater. Put your hands up again, everyone, if you're voting for Beth Liffensberger. He's a ballot uh, box One, stuffer. two, three, four, 
five, six. It's so unhelpful if you put your hand up after I start counting. You um, have to put them up and hold them up. Starting them up now, put up, up your hand and, and hold and it fact, up. Uh, somebody else, Sharon, you're better at this. I'm going to, you, you count. You count this okay. side and no account. Put them up and don't take them down until I say. Right. No, no, only, only the left side. Noah's doing the right side. You're doing the left side. And don't 11. raise both hands. 11. Jeff, Eleven, take your other hand down. Okay, 11 no, and 7, kidding. right? So 18, <laughs> total of 18. Okay, total of 18. Kyle Staver. Kyle Staver is uh, Noah's Ark and, uh, sorry, Jonah and the Whale and uh, Pandora's okay, Box. Okay, don't take them down until don't I say. Don't take them down. Sharon is doing this side. Dylan is doing, six. Noah is doing that side. Six, seven, eight, nine, nine. Nine plus six. Okay, down. Uh, sounds like seven, oh, nine plus six, 15. Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay, Nancy Chun. One, two, three, four, five. Two and five? Five. Down. Okay, seven down. Um, Tamara Gonzalez. Up, up, up. Patterns. Contemporary. Abstraction. Okay, keep them up. Times. Wait, wait. Eleven, and you said? Twelve. Wow. So, Down. So, so 20. Thank you. Very strong. 21, 21 right? Okay, 21. Uh, Willard Buckley, the sculptor, modernist sculptor. Seven. 17. Down. Thank uh, you. James Siena, enamel algorithms. Two. Three. Okay. Uh, Joshua Marsh. Okay, put your hands up and hold them. Joshua Marsh, the surrealist, um, bright color, bright colors, still eyes, with the magic mushroom, the surrealist at all. Don't listen to him. Kind of psychedelic still lives. Psychedelic still If you don't know what he looks like, he's he. You forgot about him. If you don't remember him, then he can't be the one. Yeah. All right, keep your hands up. If you've forgotten what he looks like, it doesn't seem he's the person to vote for. Okay. It's um, Nine. very bright neon colors, apple cores and swirls and all this sort of stuff. Nine. Okay, down. Nine. Thank you. Uh, eleven. Nine and eleven. Uh, so twenty. Right. He gets twenty votes. Okay. Uh, James Clark. Um, neon uh, lights in sculptures in a darkened room and okay, paintings in a closet. Okay, raise your paws now. Are you counting the woman in the back? Yes, are you? Okay, no. Okay. No, okay. Okay, down, thank you. Good, okay. Uh, hosiery lady, Tamiko Kawata. How great would she look alongside oh some... How, how do we like... Do we like elections where the people doing the telling no, are also doing some canvassing? <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Yes, hosiery. Tamiko Kawata. Right, one. okay, one, how many do you get? Uh, so four. Okay. Two. You've got two on your side? I get one. One, okay, so we've got four. Okay. Got four total. Brenda Goodman. Brenda Goodman. Three. Eight, Down. right. Okay, well, um, 
The rest of you who didn't vote for Brenda Goodman had better be at Life on Mars at 2 p.m. Uh, on Sunday to, be, to, to hear what you're missing. So here's the votes we've got. We got wait, uh, wait, you didn't... What about Medri McPhee? She was one of mine. Medri McPhee? I nominated Bentry. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, I did. Uh, I liked her a lot. Uh, I don't know how she didn't make it. Remember I said but she would look great at the Met alongside Kay Sage's painting that happens to live at the Met? You're quite right. I'm sorry. Um, uh, that's a terrible injustice. So you can have a write-in for... Oh, there she is. Yeah. I, I kind of like her better than Liven, Livensberger. Uh, well... Okay, oh, so dear. this so is this, it. This makes Let's a mess because everyone's voted three times, right? Oh. We'll give her the subway. Uh, you know Let's what? just vote again. I mean, who, who's going to say she might win above these others? Well, yeah. then we'd have to do them all, wouldn't we? No, we wouldn't. Of course no. we would, because if you voted for Livensburger... No, 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 no. Let's no. just... This is all imaginary. We can okay. make up the rules That's whenever right. we want to. Right. Who okay. would like to vote for this painting? Madri McPhee. Six. Fifteen. Okay. Right. Fifteen. Okay. So she wouldn't have won anyway. Well, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Anyway, anyway, this is a fun exercise. It's only supposed to be fun. And uh, Beth Liffensberger is on 18. Kyle Staver's on 15. Nancy Chan is on 7. Tamara Gonzalez is on 21. Willie Buckley's on 17. James Siena's three, Joshua Marsh, 20, James Clark, seven, Tamiko Kawata, four, Brenda Goodman, eight, and Medrick McPhee, 15, which means our top three look like um, Tamara Gonzalez, Beth Livensberger, and uh, Willard Buckley. Oh, Joshua Marsh, yes. Oh, um, in, which case, in which case it's not. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. So it's uh, 18 to Beth Livensberger, 21 to Tamara Gonzalez, and 20 to Joshua Marsh. So do we decide quickly which museum to give them to? Um, um, uh, the museums can decide. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. So